welcome to episode 25 of The God Learners, a podcast about gaming and reading in the mythical world of Glorantha. My name is Jörg. And I'm Ludovic aka Lord Abdul. And with us we have the author of many, 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 many things on the Gentleman Compendium, Austin Conrad aka... Um, AKA what, actually? Arkelos. You pronounce that as Arkelos. That's what I publish <laughs> under. Um, you can find a lot of my stuff on the Johnstown Compendium. I don't think I have the most stuff. That's probably either Dario with all of his artwork mm. or Simon Phipp because Simon and Leon Kirstein mm. made a lot of stuff for Dora Store. And it's all right. very good, but there's a lot of it. <laughs> yes. Um, Actually, what, what does Achilles mean? Uh, it is the setting of the world I started writing in when I first started writing back in 16 before the compendium existed and before I really was involved in Glorantha at all. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I, I know I nicked it from somewhere. I did something, but I can't remember what that is anymore. Um, <laughs> but it's the setting for a bunch of fiction that I was working on inspired by Homeric epic and the tales of Herodotus and in particular Thucydides and like the conflicts of city states. Um, the cosmology derives heavily from Plato's Timaeus and the. Uh, setting at large is kind of on the edge of Bronze Age classical stuff. So surprise, surprise, I took to Glorantha like a duck to water. It's the same shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And inevitably, when I start publishing this animist Bronze Age city-state warfare stuff, someone's going to point and go, look, that's Glorantha. And I'm going to say, yes, but I found that before I found Glorantha. <laughs> yes, yeah. It just was... I'm not saying that Glorantha is not an influence when I work on that material. I'm actually yeah. editing probably what will be my first published novel for that. Um, I'm going to self-publish that. Hopefully later this year, more likely next year at this current rate. But back to Glorantha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I want to say, like, speaking of uh, Glorantan people publishing novels, uh, Sean Carpenter... Yes, uh, I saw. Who, He's who got... just republished. He, well, uh, him and Peggy just republished uh, Valley of Plenty ahead of releasing Volume Two. But he has also uh, got a novel uh, that was just recently published, or will be I think it was announced published. and it's being published next year. I want to say right. that's what it was. Um, yeah. I remember I saw that and I was like, "Oh, that's fantastic!" Because I haven't seen anything out of him in a long time, and I was looking forward to the, whatever the next thing he did was because I really liked Valley of Plenty. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, me too. I guess, I guess uh, writing a novel is uh, not uh, seeing uh, much of that author for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, probably they're busy yeah. with their. They're also busy with their um, uh, like war game. Um, yeah, well, yeah, they stuff. do tons of stuff. They're very active. Yeah, or busy. But, uh, and by the way, I think speaking of Valley of Plenty, I think it has been just updated. Yeah, with um, the new stuff. There's a new PDF. Uh, I haven't really looked through the details. Um, I recall the Carpenters, when they were posting about it, saying that there's some extra cults and extra background and stuff. There's extra detail. It's extra not... adventures also, I think. Oh, 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 okay. That'll be, that'll, that's, that'll be more fun to check out, I think. Cause or or, or I like adventures. Trying to figure out sure. adventure yeah. structure is something that I'm still very much working on not being super repetitive about. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, but we're not here to talk about the Carpenters. 
We are here to talk about uh, Iculas, and you have some new stuff that just came out and that we will uh, probably refer to uh, all throughout the episode as we move on to the main topic later. Um, but uh, tell us about To Hunt a God. To Hunt a God is a hero quest where you do the thing that it says in the title. <laughs> there we go. That, no. <laughs> Uh, no, I am I am genuinely super super excited that Tanda God's finally out. It's finally in print. Uh, it recently had its print release. It I finished the PDF in April, um, and I spent I think a week doing the print setup, and then about a total of probably close on six weeks just waiting for all of the rest of it after I send the files. <laughs> Um, and so we have it. It's real. It exists. It's totally different holding it than looking at the PDF. Um, <laughs> the uh, and the process is amazing. Anyone who's interested in checking out the Johnstown Compendium, I recommend uh, joining on and making your own stuff because more stuff is great. And that moment when you hold something for the first time is just really spectacular. <laughs> I've had that three times now, um, and that's just it's it's a whole it's a whole thing. But the book itself is a new cult for players. I was specifically trying to make something. If I was a player, I would want to run this. I would want to play that character. That character looks fun. And mm -hmm. I got feedback from several of the people I have game mastered l looking to see, hey, do they like this? Are they into that cult? Do they think it looks fun to play? Because if it's not, I don't give a shit. The uh, next chunk of the, of the book is a adventure site, a temple um, dedicated to the god that's in the first part. That's Hrunda, by the way. We're going to talk about Hrunda a bit later more uh, in this episode. Yeah. And then the latter half of the book um, is the titular adventure to hunt a god, where the players um, attend a festival, a holy day, celebrating the god Hrunda's recent victory. And then it turns out Hrunda has been cursed and you have to go on a hero quest as outsiders to commit an act of divine euthanasia. <laughs> I love that phrase. I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I love that. I love that phrase. It's just, moi. it does sound cool. Yes. Yeah. Um, and just to like give the vibe of it, uh, it's located near like the forests of Northern Israelia. Uh, yes. No, it is. In, Israelia. It is yeah. in the Northeastern Israelia. Get it right. Ludo. Eastern. Northern the forest East. covers the entirety of the north, but the old woods is on the eastern chunk. Um, it's right next to okay. the uh, it's right next to the Beast Valley area, which has right. okay. um, there's another big temple in Beast Valley, which I read but tried not to just copy in the way I did the temple at the old woods, because a lot of the worshippers at the old woods temple are animal people and people who worship animal gods and nature gods. But it's not an exact correlation because the Arachne Solara temple, uh, this is written up in the smoking ruin, mm -hmm. uh, is this great big monstrous, like regional great temple style thing, almost Stonehenge style. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sprawling over kilometers. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is a much more toned down affair because I want something people can actually go to one place and do not kind of hair off across the whole, <laughs> uh, you know, several regions of hills as you find the different sites. Yeah. Um, cool. yeah. But yeah, I think there's also like a, 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 an element of going out in the wilderness, like in the forest, like almost yes. the jungle 
and I originally started developing the old woods stuff that I have in my notes and that this draws from when I was running a campaign in the small city of Silphi in Azrolia. Mm-hmm. And the goal with that was I wanted somewhere that's the go adventure, go do weird things, get out of town <laughs> and explore. And that's the nearest obvious place, especially because the guide to Gorantha notes that the old woods is just like a little different from the Arstola forest. It's part of Arstola, but it's yeah. it's noted as other stuff's there. It's given a specific designation without from my memory really has saying this is why it's different and i was like well i can answer that yeah um, <laughs> uh the uh the difference of the old woods is covered a bit in the first age material oh yeah and i don't i don't think i have any of the old or i don't have any of the unpublished stuff no no it's in the guide uh, too oh it's in the guide okay i'd have to go dig in then to i, I just i'm remembering from the uh the gazetteer <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. The gazetteers could pretty silent about it, but uh, yeah. there, there's a little bit of mention uh, in the first age material, uh, which we discussed for the archive sec- uh, sessions, which is why I remember that. Ah, there we go. I've read, <laughs> I've listened to one of the archive sessions, but not both yet. Because mm-hmm. um, between you guys and DMs After Dark, and then just random other history things, and I don't listen to that many podcasts. Uh, well, you I, should I fall get your priorities straight, though. <laughs> <laughs> God forbid. God forbid. Yeah. Well, the god is dead, so. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, he'll wake back up. He'll be fine. So, speaking of uh, gods and cults, I guess we should move into the main topic. Sounds like a plan. Which is um, making up cults. Um, The cults are like a big, like one of the main things that sets um, Glorantha apart from a lot of other fantasy settings. And it's only a matter of time before, you know, any gaming group moves away from just belonging to cults that are listed in the rulebook to just making their own. Uh, of course, like soon there's going to be a whole bunch of books being released that provide you way more cults that you need. Yes. But, I mean, it will still happen that uh, that you'll end up creating at least a couple of custom cults at your table. I, I mean, even uh, just look at the GM screen uh, package. So, yeah. so adventure, uh, you have a choice which of the two uh, versions of the deity you will get. Uh, from the GM pack? Yeah, the the one about the dragons. Yes. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking also about the, uh, the quick start, the broken tower. Yes, uh, of course. The two times that I ran it, it ended up with a non-violent resolution that would lead to the creation of some sort of cult. So these things happen fairly easily. What about you, Austin? Uh, Well, I'm a big fan of making up cults. Uh, Might might almost be why I'm here today. Um, (laughs) I think that it appeals to that uh, innate gamer urge to tinker and to homebrew um, and be in a game that is so based on setting and lore and like those being the primary appeals um 
you know, and the marketing's not. RuneQuest is a really fun game. The marketing is Glorantha is a fantastic setting, and RuneQuest is the game you play it in. That's that's the way it's presented. Yeah. And so, inevitably, when instead of you know making a new class or making new feats or whatever that would be the equivalent of D and D or Pathfinder or similar games, in RuneQuest you're going to make new cults. Mm-hmm. Um, I have made up a number because I think it's fun. Uh, most of those were while I was working on that Azrolia game that I mentioned. But we'll talk about the published one, Hrunda. And also, I'll probably bring up some of those unpublished cults from Azrolia. Because I think there's a couple of them that I think are really interesting as a way to talk about playing with the setting without trying to say, mm-hmm. you know, the rest of it doesn't count. Or trying to, like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel to make up a new god, basically. Mm-hmm. You, you you realize that as you start teasing more of your unpublished stuff, you'll get more people asking you where that when that unpublished stuff. Oh gets yeah, you yeah, know the the, the <laughs> shit. I got no clue. I got no clue. Fair fair <laughs> warning. Uh, my brain was in a really shit spot in 2022. Put entirely bluntly, there's a reason it took me 18 months to finish the last half of To Hunt a God, and I'm in a better spot right now. But I also have no idea how to re-enter a project that's got like 120,000 words of stuff scattered across three files, and <laughs> it's a goddamn nightmare. Um, mm-hmm. And I just. <laughs> I'm going to need like probably a month and a half of just strict, you know, what the hell am I doing here before I'm really going to be able to start putting the pieces back together. It's like that guy, uh, you know, you might have a neighbor that always has a, a car sitting disassembled in his garage and he's totally working on it. But really what he does is he goes out there and he drinks a beer and he listens to the uh, classic rock radio, maybe hangs out with a friend and they, they, they fiddle. Oh, so your writing is your midlife crisis, I see. Uh, okay, no, Israelia is my midlife crisis. <laughs> uh, well, others, other, st- other stuff is more active. It's just that the Israelia project's big enough that I'm going to need to find a way to. So, writing's my full time profession now. Uh, for mm-hmm. those who don't know, yeah. And so, if I'm going to do the Israelia thing, you guys need to buy my books. Because if you buy my books, I can have the downtime to sit around and do nothing but work on the Azrolia thing rather than going and finding freelance stuff to go work on elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. So TLDR, if you want the Azrolia thing, buy my shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so where were we again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we were uh, talking about uh, designing cards. And- yes. Oh, right. Um, and, and I first really got into kind of the designing cult stuff when the Red Book of Magic came out. Because there's lots of cool spells in there, but if the spell doesn't have a cult, there's no obvious way to use it. The Red Book of Magic was kind of like publishing a book full of toys, but not telling you how to use the toys um, and not, you know, providing the instruction manual. And really, in hindsight, especially considering how long all the rest of this crap's been taking, it's kind of an increasingly baffling release. Mm -hmm. And so I started wanting to play with the toys in it. The most obvious example of this was I love the spell Proteus. Proteus is awesome because shape changing Ah. is cool. Um, (laughs) Yes, that's the shape changing spell. It's a movement room spell. But I Ludo was talking once that apparently only Triolina has it. You told me when we were we were talking about that for our game. Yeah, well, Triolina has 
But that means all the mermen uh, will have it. Yeah, and it's like, I have no idea why Triolina has it. I have no idea why it's restricted to her. I just yeah. saw Movement Rune. Ah, yes, Larnsta, he's the dude who did all the changing and shape-shifting. Sartar transformed people into shit, and he was, like, in <laughs> something with Larnsta. I remember, like, all these half things, and so I was like, hey, the water gods shape-shift all the time. That's, like, a thing in the mythos. So, you know... I am disappointed that river cults are boring as hell. So in my area, I'm going to give the river cult shape shifting. I'm going to I'm going to do that because I think that'll make the cult fun. Um, And I had a player who made a thief that could shape shift and it was a disaster and we had a great time. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A bit like giving a uh, giving a party uh, flying uh, steeds in the second adventure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and uh, so. One of the things with this cult was I decided, you know, there's going to be stories about here's like the the canonical, like favorite shapes of the god. Um, And so the cult gave you access to three shapes that with meld form you could use to acquire that shape. So it was really expensive if you want to learn a lot of shapes because you have to keep casting meld form, get the right animal. And the shapes were a ram, a bull or a crocodile. But I didn't give people full access to crocodiles because who the hell is going to have like an entire pit of crocodiles laying around? So you have baby crocodiles. You have sacred baby crocodiles that get used for the milk form. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. And then I was like, you know, if your bull and your ram, you know, if you want those, you just have to go buy one. And then you have to pay for the person to cast the spell at the temple and that, that whole thing. So it's expensive. Mm-hmm. But if you if you want a crocodile, you're going to get a baby crocodile unless you go wrangle a crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if I remember the Proteus spell correctly, you have to consume or eat. Basically, the, yeah. The, the shape you want to take in, so... Yeah, Meld Form is an enchantment. It doesn't cost POW, but it's an enchantment spell that when you cast it or someone else casts it for you, you can get the animal that is brought as one of your forms that you can then transform into with Proteus. Yeah. Um so if we wanted to, say, make Telmori shapeshifting suck less, you'd introduce a spirit cult that provides meld form and Proteus and then say, hey, it's the Telmori. The only shape they're going to change into is wolves. So when a wolf is near dying, instead of passing away entirely, uh, that spirit cult's funerary ritual would be cool. One of your descendants is going to take on your wolf shape using the meld form ritual. Your soul will go to the afterlife. Your form will stay within the tribe and maybe even get passed down further. And you'll be able to use Proteus just to shape shape shift and you just shift into your 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 grandfather's wolf companion or whatever. And for the record, that is literally just shit that I made up on the spot. I've never played with that before. That's how that's a good example of trying to take this pile of spells and think, hey, how do I turn this into something that kind of fits in with the setting in a way that's unusual and unexpected? Yeah, I mean, in theory, half of the cults book are supposed to be released this year. Um, So we'll soon be able to use the Red Book of Magic the way it was intended to be used, which is like as a compilation reference of the spells of all the all the cults. But uh, even without that, um, like for me making up cults, and I mean, I didn't really make them. I mean, you, you made them in our game. <laughs> uh, but uh, it often sort of just happened, right? It's like 
I made like a, a, a quick little adventure in a marsh area where you save some newtlings that we later published in uh, Box Struggles. And then you said like, oh yeah, I want to join that um, that cult of the river horse in the uh, that the new that we just saved the, for the newtlings. So there we needed to uh, create um, uh, a quick cult. There's a bunch of others, like some spirits that uh, some of the characters found in in our game. And just like, it, it seems like very common for players to say like, oh, you know, that forgotten deity or that spirit that we found in our game. Can I worship it? Can I can I bring it offerings? What do I get in return? You know, it's, <laughs> it's very, uh, it, it's, there's a very uh, obvious desire for players to get cool stuff. And, and yeah. I want to point out real quick, the what do I get in return element, I think it's extremely ancient. I don't think that's, you know, just, oh, gamers are greedy. Oh, no, um, no. That's <laughs> a huge part of how a lot of ancient cultures approached the divine was, look, I'm going to yes. give you a cow. So stop fucking me and give me the rain. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, because um, my limited understanding of the ancient world was that uh, like polytheism was a very utilitarian Think, yeah, and the gods were not used as like role models the same way that Christianity um, views deities, uh, the one deity. Yeah. Uh, no, back no. then, it was like most gods are assholes. You know, they keep yeah. fucking things up and uh, and having kids with this and that. Uh, but we can get something from them if we yeah. if we give them some offerings. Yeah, and they are still sacred and better. They're just. You know, they're just, they want what they want. Uh, basically, they're uh, like modern day providers of necessary services. <laughs> ooh, you have to propitiate them, and uh, if you want their aid really badly, you have to uh, queue up in the waiting line. I gotta say, Orlanth as the uh, as basically ancient Comcast is not what I was thinking of uh, when I was expecting metaphors today. Yeah, we, we have to recognize that government services are widely different between Europe and the U.S. So between that's Europe also and fair. It's, it's it's a whole different world. This, honestly, city utilities where I live are pretty good, um, but like internet providers anywhere across the U.S. Bit of a shit show. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, maybe when you're out on out in the boons in Talastar or whatever, you know, the Orlanth Comcast thing is like, oh my god, you need to go to the nearest temple, which is like three days away. It's, I uh, it's remember there's something somewhere about <laughs> sacred Orlanth mountains, and it's like yes. the mad. You know, you can only have so big a temple if you're so far away from the sacred mountains or something. I think oh, it's yeah. like an appendix in the guy. I've seen the map of it. I've seen the <laughs> yeah, map of it, yeah. and I remember the map of it more than the actual text yeah there are these radii around uh, mount carofine and uh, around top of the world yeah and, and uh, then you have the lesser mounds with half the uh, radius and even uh, even lesser ones with just a tenth of it or so yeah th this is where it's not worth it to build infrastructure because um, yeah yeah it's, yeah uh, <laughs> so like you know if, you, if you're not close enough you know to one of the mountains you're not gonna you're not gonna get the same amount of lightning so it's kind of like you know what's the point even if Orlanth yeah. is also all of the air in the world because he's like owns the air rune and the air is his body or yes. something I don't know well, uh, the thing is you just have to get your uh, make your own mount also yes <laughs> <laughs> So we established we want to potentially make a cult. Um, there are 
a lot of types of cults yes. in uh, well specifically in RuneQuest, but like the rules of RuneQuest sort of also somewhat map to a certain reality quote-unquote reality i guess in in glorantha um so um should we briefly go through the various types of cults so yes uh spirit cults um spirit cults are definitely a great place to start if you're looking to screw around with cults um as ludo was talking about they found very naturally on their own um i don't know how naturally they found in setting versus how frequently they show up in adventures i do kind of think that new spirit cults popping up tends to be a oh the adventurers do that a fair amount because adventurers do weird adventurer things but you know outside of doing weird shit maybe it's not quite as common i think it's quite common because it's not just the adventurers are doing weird shit but it's also their opponents true (laughs) for for me it's more that it's not common for common people to deal with spirit cults exactly but um whatever spirit the adventurers find there's a good chance that there is a shaman nearby who knows about that spirit and takes care of it because it's the job of the shaman to go around and yeah, okay. you know do, do some sort of inventory or census of all the spirits in the region and, and deal with them. And I think it's almost the opposite. Oh, yeah? Because, uh, well, uh, perhaps I've been uh, influenced by the RuneQuest Vikings box from the RuneQuest 3 <laughs> area here, but yeah. uh, you get these uh, household spirits and so on. Uh, which uh, you have in your own household, and um, uh, these uh, will uh, these will be uh, worshipped by the people living in the house or uh, sailing on the ship or whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, they are not exactly writers, but small spirits uh, that will receive worship by the people dealing with them on a day to day basis. Right, but that's the the you know the common people spirit like i'm mostly talking about the spirits that the adventurers might encounter so the the spirit that they yeah and we have that same the household god exists that's the uh, summon household guardian spell um you get a little snake that lives in the house and it it protects people from disease and it needs people to give them magic points and things like that um Mm -hmm. there's a arnaldo rune spell for that and there might be another version that does the same thing but has a different name i can't exactly recall um I, I imagine I, I, there's also like the just the summon um, ancestor yeah. uh, spell from the the nearby shaman where you just have your grand 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 grandpa protecting the house. Also, yeah. Um, yeah. I tend to think that common people probably engage in a fair amount of spirit worship. Are initiates for like for like you know initiate sacrificing pow less commonly. Um, and I tend to think, you know, like your average Orlanthi farmer is not likely to found a spirit cult. That's where I really see the adventurer distinction. But yeah. if there's a traditional spirit cult in the area, say you don't have a Chalana Roy temple in your lands, but there is a spirit that a shaman befriended two generations ago that your clan continues to worship that gives cure disease. That spirit's yeah. going to be real popular when disease shows up and it's going to stop getting offerings once the disease goes away. Yeah, yeah. Most people would be lay members, probably. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, except, except that spirit cards are the best way to establish a rune spell. You won't get any other way uh, while still continuing your old card. 
I see spirit cults as being very similar to um, prestige classes in yes. some iterations of 3.5 or Pathfinder or as being multi-classing in exactly. uh, D&D 5e. They're yeah. kind of something you splash into. You're going to how is your way of leveling up basically in RuneQuest? Um, I, it's very much analogous is how much power you've dedicated to what sources, whether it's personal enchantments uh, dedicated to the, your direct god. So you have more in that pool and you have more spells in that pool. Or if you kind of piddle it out into a bunch of different pools, making you more flexible, but you can't, you know, spend nine points on a season long shield that keeps you immune from battle in basically every situation. Um, <laughs> not talking about anything specific there. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> and so I very much think of spirit cults in f- from a game function perception as here's a way to give the adventurers a cool tool. Like if you say, you know, a player that's like, "Ooh, I really want lightning. Lightning's just fun. I'm playing an Arnaldin. I just want to throw lightning. Well, the spirit cult of, you know, little lightning javelin man um, that just <laughs> gives lightning and maybe like. I tend to think I tend to like giving spirit cults one or two common spells. If you give more than one or two, um, you end up with this whole great list of common spells, but not all of them. And that becomes complicated. That's one of the mistakes I made when I designed Frunda. Frunda is a rune cult, but doesn't have all the common spells like Ginkin or like Ermal. Um, and in hindsight, I should have just given it all common. Who gives a shit? It, mm-hmm. it, it made more complication than it was worth. Mm-hmm. But just one or two common spells is easy to keep track of. So, um, and it gives more flexibility to the cult. So there's less of a feel bad when you sacrifice your pow. And then well, lightning's not a good example because lightning's going to be useful in lots of situations. But let's say, um, Nyads. I like the idea of a Nyad spirit cult that teaches breathe air water because pretty much every adventurer is going to like having, hey, I have one room point of breathe air water for that one time that it's going to pop up. It's nice to have for a rainy day. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> if the Nyad also provides heal wound, it means, hey, I can use that for something at any right. point. Like it's not yeah. I've not just thrown away a point of power that I'm never going to see again. Right. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Another thing thing also is that most spirit cults are like they are fairly minor deities like very minor deities or big spirits but they are not big enough to actually be on the scene you know of the god's war and all that stuff Mm -hmm. and so usually you can unlike unlike the other main cults you can initiate into them without much of uh, strings. Like yeah. um, you can, you can be easily initiate of like a couple of spirit cults. Yeah. Whereas it's a, it's a, there's a lot more strings with the the main cults. Basically, that's the Praxian way, a very pragmatic way. Mm-hmm. And I tend to think that the uh, lunar heartlands have a similar approach. In the lunar heartlands, yes. With what kind of spirit cults? Uh, and a lot of spirit cards, which is where I wanted to disagree with you, are really fragments of a greater deity, like Lightning Boy, or Little Lightning Men, or however you want to call him. I, I couldn't remember what the real... I knew there was a real one, I don't remember what it was, so <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah. uh, Lightning Boy is basically <laughs> the uh, shard of Orland's adventurers, which is available to the Praxians. So you mean that the, the, the Pelorian farmers are getting, uh, you know, three quarters of Orlanth's magic without uh, uh, without worshipping Orlanth? Yes. <laughs> I think the more important magic that the Lunars are getting is uh, bless crops. Not that they don't have 
or null or whatever the equivalent is, but seven mothers does not provide fertility or does not provide farmer magic and farmer magic is super important in the setting. Less important as a player, but super important if you're looking at it on the setting end. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, if, if you want, if you want to uh, make a wave in Darahapa, you really want cloud call. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a fun one. Um, <laughs> I mean, someone will blow it away right away, but still, yeah. Um, yeah. Again, well, it's, it's a sign of a rebellion, really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, um, okay. Uh, anything else about spirit cults? I do have something popping up that I. I, I I'm just curious. Do you guys think most spirit cults are founded on purpose or by accident? Well, in a game, <laughs> I would say I would say by accident. <laughs> yeah, and in setting too, because if you're a shaman-like type uh, wandering the edge of the normal world and the spirit world, these will be encounters. That's like I'm leaning towards like you know not on purpose as a general thing, but I I don't I don't have a decided opinion. I would say the thing is like if if you believe in the theory that you know spirit cults are just the first phase of a cult you know most most cults stay at that phase but others like grow and grow and become like subcults and then big grown cults like you could think of you know the cult of Yalmalio or whatever has started as a spirit cult at the beginning when it was just like, you know, yeah. a dozen people worshipping it and then it grew and grew. So in that sense, you could also think that many people are looking for a specific type of magic and they go do some exploratory hero questing and stuff and they come back with some sort of entity that uh, is just like the uh, the part of a bigger one. But yeah. As a result, that starts as a deliberate spirit cult. Um, yes, uh, two things about that. Uh, one is uh, what you describe as the cult of the trunk, the cult of the ear, the cult of the belly of an elephant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> all, yeah. All of these are encounters with uh, some aspects of uh, an entity which you don't uh, grasp fully. Yeah, exactly. But which you worship or propitiate anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing. Uh, propitiation is a, is a big part of spirit cults. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So piss off Malia. Go away. Go bother someone else. I don't care who, just not me. <laughs> and if you really want a constructive spirit card, yeah, that has happened. Uh, there was an organization which was uh, infamous for uh, doing this. Oh, those were the God learners, of course. I was guessing that's where this is going, because this is like a <laughs> super duper God learner perspective on the mythology, which I'm... I'm like mid on. I'm not entirely. Sh I think that there's more uh, more wiggle room than the aspect. You know, things are you know small small versus big, kind of in a very clean dichotomy. I tend to think it's a little messier than that. Yeah, but messy in ways that I don't know how to precisely define. Because if I defined them, then they wouldn't be messy, and that like becomes a whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but yeah, the spirit cards. Another term I would use for these would be splinter cards. Hmm. Well, and and I think that the spirit cults mechanically cover a lot of ground yes which i that what we definitely can be in agreement on it's like i don't like i don't think some things which are spirit cults worshiping you know oh yeah i went into the spirit world i saw this tree spirit which is in time that's the important difference between the spirit world and the god time as far as i understand is that the spirit mm -hmm. world exists in time yeah um yes. i don't that feels weird to me that that tree would be just 
just an aspect of Aldraya. No, it's the tree spirit itself. It's an individual that I'm engaged in a magical relationship with. But different element, you know, like you're talking about the Splinter Cult where, you know, or like Aluda with the Hero Quest, you go back, go out, you come back with a way to contact a spirit that's a very little god in the god time. There's a different metaphysical mumbo jumbo thingamajigamer going on there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm really good at jargon, and I'm trying to just not use the jargon because yeah. it won't be yeah. fun for anyone, including me. Yeah, you're a great editor when you replace all the words by mumbo jumbo. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess uh, uh, I guess in terms of rules, both those entities would be actually modeled with the spirit cult uh, mechanic, yeah. which is. Uh, maybe uh, a misnomer in some cases, but I, I, I like the splinter cult, uh, maybe uh, denomination. Look, but, all I'm yeah. saying is if you want me to start talking about the God time as a numeral distinction uh, from the uh, mundane plane, I can, but we're not going to have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> The next type of cult, uh, should we do the hero cult? Those Which are is, fun. is like a spirit cult. It uses the same mechanics, in my opinion. Yeah, but um, the entity is slightly different. The yeah, cult. because one, one of the main differences is the entity can still be alive. True. Yes. And the entity can be one of the player characters. True. Which is a big difference. Yeah, that is, that is a gigantic difference. It is very fun being worshipped. <laughs> because then you get special powers. Yeah, it's also a ball and chain for you because once you're worshipped, you're pulled into that role again and again and again. Will you or nil you? Um, are you personally pulled into the role like just occasionally? But most of the time, it's actually just your echo in the in the in the hero plane doing it. So yeah, um, the problem is your ego becomes your echo gradually. Yeah, T tell me more because then I can I can bring more shenanigans to my players who are currently <laughs> being worshipped for a couple points of uh, hero points every year. Yeah, we don't we're not worshipped. We're not big enough heroes yet. Tough yeah, yet. but you, you you might become once uh, Yurik tells me about uh, how to put oh, you in more trouble. I will <laughs> absolutely take that trade off. Give me a d give me a d six back uh, a season, and I will absolutely do shenanigans. <laughs> Any, anyway, um, well, a hero usually gets a power on a hero quest, mm -hmm. and when when he de uh, develops a hero cult, then this hero quest power is shared by the uh, by the worshippers in some way. But mechanically speaking, it's just that you went on the hero quest, you yeah. got some hero quest ability, and then you get also like hero points to uh, power it. And you regain the hero point as people worship you, but as they worship you, they also obtain it as a rune spell. Basically. Yes, yes. Uh, my uh, my go-to character is uh, Hofstor in uh, Tree Leaper. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I was gonna go. I was gonna point to Jaril, but yeah, that's actually a good example too, probably. So uh, Hofstoring has a couple of worshippers in the Calbria tribe who um, have the tree leaping feet. Mm -hmm. But I mean, most of the time they they just go on the. They, they follow the steps of of starring Tree Leaper to get the same ability that he was the first to get, but yeah, yeah. he doesn't have to redo it every time himself. He doesn't have to redo it any time himself, but um, 
if, if you had Hofstering alive today, he would be uh, very hard tempted uh, to jump any tree uh, he gets uh, in his way. So I, I think I think I think I have an example for like the um, engaging in the ways engaging in the hero playing can cause magical problems for players. Um, let's take Jareel as our example. Um, Jareel is basically the red goddess walking around on Earth um, because she's engaged in so much hero questy bullshit. Yes. Um, mechanically, I would say, you know, if a player, you know, hero quests for a special power that they deal double damage with attacks when they're attacking loons, uh, red, red moon elementals. Um, I would say they get that bonus when attacking Jareel. She is a human. She's not a loon. But because of she's so mythically attached, um, that hero quest boon it does this echoey stuff Yog was talk, talking about where the magic still draws in. Um, another thing would be, you know, she has to engage in the Red Goddess's commitments in a way that like an initiate or a room priest maybe doesn't have to as fervently or as deeply. Yes. And that's I'm a little less I'm a little less certain on that one, but like trying to think it as a spectrum. I mean, I, I could see I could see how somebody like Jarrell, who does like very high level hero questing, she would get very powerful hero questing boons and powers, okay. but with strings attached, a bit like Gears yeah. is basically, yeah. where it's like, yeah. okay, you can keep those super rules breaking powers, but you also have to, you know, always wear red makeup and always challenge <laughs> uh, rune, rune priests of Orlanth and always yeah. whatever. So, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, there's one thing Jeff wrote uh, quite a while ago that a Capital Age hero also transgresses against their own card. Oh, yeah. So, uh, not necessarily against their own deity, but against their own card, against their own pre uh, prescribed ways. Well, because, yeah, because they, they are effectively bringing progress to the cult by doing things that the cult doesn't usually do, and that's how yes. they get those new powers. Yes, and uh, the the ultimate way is, of course, uh, the full integration into the cult, so the hero cult disappears and beca it becomes the mainstream, a uh, feat of the mainstream cult. Yeah, this is where I, I am not sure exactly how to do it um, in an actual game, because, because especially when it's one of the player characters, you know, one of the player characters does a hero quest in, say, like the Orlanth myths, And brings back like a new rune spell. Like you made up a new rune spell, rune spell with uh, with your player, and it's the representation of something that Orlanth did, but that is not described in the rulebook. And so you start getting a bunch of NPCs worshiping you and all that. You got those hero points to trigger that rune spell, that that new rune ability. But yeah, I'm not sure how you actually like, except if you really do. Okay, you know, let's fast forward three years, make me a few charisma rolls and a few worship rolls and a few orate rolls and see if you can convince, you know, uh, 1d6 temples to adopt your thing into the dogma of, of Orlanth and, and now it becomes. But yeah, I don't know how you can do that without doing basically a, a fast forward in your game. Um, well, uh, you can do that in the face of Cataclysm because uh, when it is your feed which uh, provides an escape from that cataclysm. So it's like everybody adopt this now, otherwise the the Crimson Bat is going to destroy... Something Tartar. like that, yeah. Right, okay, sure, yeah. Yeah, that's a good good idea. 
And uh, the hero wars are going to be a whole series of cataclysms, so no problem there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no hero wars. There's just a couple of min-maxing players with delusions of grantors. Yeah, yeah. You don't gotta call me out like that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to subcults then. Uh, subcults are, to me, it's a fairly uh, a versatile option, just like the, the spirit cults. Uh, because unlike spirit cults, you can more easily attach subcults to like one of the existing uh, core rulebook uh, cults. So you can invent a new aspect of Orlanth, for example. Yeah. One, one, one thing I loved with Greek mythology is when I learned that there was a, a temple that effectively had a subcult of, of Zeus, like in terms of RuneQuest mechanics, and it was the cult of uh, Zeus Flyswatter. So it's like the, the cult where, because it's, it was one of the, one of the places, I don't remember where, where it was, but it, it was one of the places where they had a whole bunch of temples. Like it was a very big religious complex with lots yeah. of temples to lots of gods. And so there was like lots of offerings and lots of offerings mean lots of meat burning, which means lots of flies. And so <laughs> there was like a small temple in the middle of there, yeah. which is like Zeus flies water, which supposedly gave you, you know, blessings to basically keep the flies away. And I'm like, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. But yeah, you can, you can make it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this is interesting to me, not only because you can, you know, make up the subcult of Orlanth's great great granddaughter step whatever yeah um which provides an extra storm related new ability yeah but you can also make very specific localized you know just localized to a couple temples or just one temple yeah. uh, a localized aspect of an existing uh, deity i have a different approach there yeah basically uh, whenever you write a new myth about a known deity you create mm -hmm. a new subcard It depends, because it could also be just a hero cult. I tend to think that hero cults are very often subcults. Like, if you go yes. on... So, like, if you go on a uh, quest to get new or that new Orlanth magic that we're talking about back, that could be a hero cult worshipping you directly. But I do think it'd be more likely that that is a subcult of you as a hero of Orlanth. Sure. I, I, I think that a really good example of, like, hero hero cult is... Uh, Herrick the Berserk, <laughs> because pe um, and once I so I think Jeff made a comment about Herrick gets lots of worship because for the same reason Malia gets lots of worship. <laughs> lots of people going, "Ooh, please, Herrick, do not come this way," and so he gets lots yeah. of power because he's so fucking scary. I think yeah. that that is a really good example. Like that's a he is a worshipped living god in a way that say Hofstering maybe is more that's a hero of Orlanth that does weird different stuff yeah but it's still like to me hero cult like Hofstering Trilliper to some degree but for example Jaril definitely yeah. is the opposite of Harek it's like these people get a lot of worship as a hero because you know lots of teenage boys in the Pelorian Bowl have a Charil poster in their room and a you know fold out page under the bed. So, the figurine, um, yeah. 
So what you're saying is Carrie Fisher uh, was receiving lots of worship in the 70s and 80s. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 On the same page. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, and I think that it is a very messy distinction, and I think that it yeah. probably should stay a messy distinction. I don't think it needs to be a very clear cut. You, you like the mess, don't you? I mean, the, the more I play around with stuff, the more I'm into the mess, honestly. Like, when I started, I was enjoying the looking for the lines and stuff, and I do think that, like, the published stuff should really be more straightforward sometimes. Like, don't don't give guys the headaches that it sometimes gets when you start in and jump in. Um, at the same time, you know, the, the straightforwardness being like 80%, 90% straightforward instead of 50%, it still gives that a lot of play around space. Cause maybe that, maybe, maybe that elephant has wings oh. <laughs> <laughs> or just very big ears or, or genuinely wings. Maybe it's not an elephant at all. Maybe it's a flying elephant. I think there is possibility the elephant metaphor can extend beyond, you know, yes. something that's totally new and unexpected. Yeah. Uh, let's not forget the pink uh, skin. <laughs> yes, the pink elephant. Also, it's rubbery for some reason. Turns out the turns out the monomythic picture of the entirety of the god time is actually just a dog toy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there was a god learner theory published in in a journal somewhere about this. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was a slant in that certain academy. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, the trickster academy. Yes. Uh, but uh, one other distinction between hero cult and sub cult might be uh, when did the myth happen yeah. or the feat happen? Uh, was it a god time event which uh, created this car, uh, this uh, splinter or mm -hmm. was it a heroic effort which created yeah. Well, the big factor of it might be who, who the person discovering it is and, and what is their attitude because like you can be a somebody who hero quest for a new power to leap over trees right yeah and you can come back and say like hey look at that thing i did in the in the in on the god plane like i'm super awesome i leap over a tree everybody worship me but yeah. you can also come back and say like oh hey i met this you know cousin of orlanth back in the god time um and his name was uh, bob and he leaped over trees and he taught me how to do it so everybody worship bob that's a good and distinction i like that yes. a lot yeah so yeah it depends like hero cults are basically for how do you call that like egomaniacs <laughs> whereas yes, of course. uh subcults are founded by true believers and devotees so yeah the difference between rune lords and rune priests <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that's another good one i know I, I like that a lot actually that's a good way to point it out yeah. uh, um i have another ugly thing rearing its head here and that's syncretism okay so um you encounter this uh different deity which shares certain uh angles with your own card and you say obviously mm -hmm. this must be an aspect of my deity which we haven't met before mm-hmm and that way uh, you can uh, say that Orlanth is the cruel god, which is Shagash, which is Zorak Zoran. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can uh, wriggle around at the Hill of Gold between these different roles and make them part of your own Shagash cult or Orlanth cult or Zorak Zoran cult. Mm -hmm. 
Orlanth is the death wielder, so clearly he is the same as Humacht, Um and that clearly means, I mean, because death brings so much horror, clearly that means Orlanth and Humacht are just an aspect of Zarak Saran. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep, yep, all of this. I mean, this is this is one thing. Uh, Monomyth for beginners. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, hopefully, this is the kind of stuff that the uh, uh, now recently announced mythology book is going to explain a bit. Because, like for example, this is this is something that I actually started to understand only when I started looking into real world uh, mythology, where you have stuff like, for example, uh, Heller can either be the personification of the rain. But it can also just be the the name of the the power that Orland has to make rain. Um, Vinga can either be a daughter of Orland or it can be a female aspect of Orland. I mean, there's a lot of like dualities and triplities and yes. whatever is the name. Um, so that's why like subcults are really they're less about what it is you worship. Like you know, is it Vinga as the daughter of Orlanth, or is it Vinga as Orlanth? Well, the woman. Uh, the woman. And it's more about, I'm dedicating myself to this as opposed to the whole. Like, I'm dedicating myself to a, to a subset. It's like, you know, I don't want to watch the entirety of the yeah. Star Trek franchise. I only like the original <laughs> series. Uh, and so it's, yeah. it's, it's like, to me, it's more about... Um, dedicating yourself to a part versus the whole. So Trekkies versus Trekkers. Is that Trekkies and Trekkers? Is that are those two different? I, terms? I've never heard that one. Yeah, used to be. I wouldn't oh, yeah, be surprised. Okay. The Star Trek fans are rabid, but I mean, most fans are rabid. So it's like you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other. Yeah. Um, don't ever get started with a, a conversation with anyone who's a fan of anything. <laughs> if they're a fan, if they're a fan of something, they have wrong opinions. Default. Yeah, no, we're not fan of Glorantha. It's fine. You see, exactly. <laughs> we are studying Glorantha. We're not fans of it. Yeah. God no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean uh, right. when I started playing with Glorantha, I also started playing with cult, mm -hmm. and I was trying to find out uh, what was this uh, strange thing that Malkioni worshiping deities was going to do. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the Malkioni are a whole, uh, yeah. Um, and I, yeah, and uh, then you have these henotheists uh, who are doing weird stuff uh, with both. Yeah, I, I actually had one of the things in my deranged scribble journal um, is <laughs> if, if you guys want to peek into something that may never may never publish or maybe I'll find a month to sit down and write it. I don't fucking know um, mm -hmm. if, you, if you guys want to peek into that something I have. I spent three days ranting in my journal about uh, is trying to figure out. Aeolian sorcery. Um, the Aeolians <laughs> are in Kethaela. That's the area that the Azrolia is in, on the verge between Hjortland and God Forgot. Um, yes. God Forgot. I'm a little fuzzy on exactly what's going on there, um, yes. because sometimes it sounds like there's Brathini there. Sometimes it's people who think they're Brathini but maybe aren't Brathini. Um, <laughs> but the Aeolians are kind of this blended culture as far as I can tell and at least as far as I'm playing with it if I'm wrong at this point I don't care anymore um, mm -hmm. a blended culture between your Orlanthi and your Malkiani um, yes. and I have been using this as a way as an excuse to devise some really twisted messed up iterations variations on 
the standard, you know, monomythic cycle and relationships, um, which is why I said you may never see this because I may never figure it out. Because um, <laughs> the idea is that, you know, the runes are the runes. They're always the same. But the way this relation, this religious system works shows different relationships and, you know, puts elements on parts of gods that don't have elements like us i think i associated asaris with the earth rune um and just <laughs> really playing around with the idea of the monomyth could be very very wrong and the magic would still work and this especially works because you have the sorcery element where you know the sorcery is a little bit more um you know tinkering with it's kind of like voiding the warranty on your rune magic <laughs> uh jailbreaking a fold yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think that sorcery, you don't have to jailbreak the phone you're using if you're using sorcery, but like it's really good at it and it's really easy <laughs> to do. Um, and so there's an element of the culture that's like, yeah, no, I, my Orlanth cult teaches me this sorcery spell that draws all the lightning to my mag my magnetic rod over there. Um, so your your Orlanth magic is worse than mine because I can control where your lightning goes by, you know, here's my lightning rod spell. Um, so, yeah. ha ha, I am a better Orlanthi than you because you can't hit me with Thunderbolt. And also because it's a sorcerous sort of version of the lightning, you can prey on it longer to make <laughs> it bigger and and reach farther. And, and so uh, I was playing on some of like the saint models. Um I have the deranged scribble book here. I thought I might. Put it out. Um, if, you guys, if, you, if you guys want to see the deranged scribble book, it's the deranged scribble book. I bought it. at. Oh, my God. I bought it does at, look deranged. I bought it at uh, the Minneapolis Ren Fair a few years ago. Let's see if I can find. Like, because some... this is a podcast, I need to note that people can't see it. But yeah. uh, there is a pentagram on um, the cover. So it's, it's a big ass <laughs> leather journal. So uh, I think we have uh, a cover uh, image now. <laughs> oh, because, yeah. You know, and it, I, I, I would actually I would offer to take some better pictures for you guys to use. But my, as Luda pointed out recently on one of the Discord servers, my phone is shit. <laughs> it is shit. It's really shit. So I, I think I, th I think we're we're moving dangerously away from the from the yeah. topic. Well, and you see, but it is relevant. It is relevant because this ties in. This is cult creation. Yes. These are. It's not just a sorcery system. It's a religion that is tied to cults. Um, yes. And it's just one really far out element of playing with the core themes. And what I was yes. finding with this <laughs> is that it when you don't play with the gods if you play with the runes instead you end up with different results um yes and it gives you different ways to think about the relationships of the powers in glorantha and to come up with really different stuff that really kind of i feel like there's this tendency in the current iterations to um to with the focus on the monomyth uh be like well everything's kind of the same everywhere just kind of you know it's like the aspects of the elephant mm -hmm. um and i think that the similarities we see in in the malkiani to the orlanthi to the kralorellans um i think sometimes they're interesting and sometimes they're not it depends i kind of take it on a case-by-case -case basis mm -hmm. and so trying to play around with the runes gives a way to be like oh that's like that's really fucked up like why is this dude doing it this way um and really throw players for a lurch while still staying within the same within the same basic structure yeah 
Can can you give an example? The so the go to example I have one of the things that I started playing with with that Aeolian stuff is I wanted Orlanthi sorcerers because I thought like not just like <laughs> you know lankering sorcerers like Orlanth sorcerers because yeah. I thought that 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 like doesn't make sense to me and I thought that'd be interesting to like how. How do I make that make sense to me? Yeah, um, yeah. same here. And so, uh, but so how would the, those would be the same runes, though, right? You would you would have sorcerers that use yeah. the runes of all that? No, well, not quite. Because uh, huh? with sorcery, uh, oh. with sorcery, you have uh, techniques to negate a rune. So, so uh, if you have storm, you can do the opposite of storm as a sorcerer. Mm, okay. Yeah. And, and so the way I fucked around with the runes and the Aeolian structure that I have going on is Orlanth doesn't have the air rune. Orlanth, so, um, yeah, Luna's going to be lots of very confused faces. So it's a Lightbringer religion. The key Lightbringers are all power runes. They, um, they engage in their power runes opposite and one of the elements uh, through um, I actually I got some of this idea from like Buddhist imagery where a god or a demon is associated directly with their consort. Um, okay. there's, I have the Tibetan Book of the Dead somewhere around here that has all of the images are too um, engaged in union. Um, mm, OK. And so the core idea is that Orlanth's wife in this concept is Antikos, the god of still air. Right, so... Which is super fucking, like, fucks with the head of the other Orlanthi in the area because they're making a philosophic distinction where the Orlanth dyad is, uh, you know, Orlanth is movement, Antikos is stasis, and air, and so Orlanth engages with air, and that's what creates the mythic concept of, you know, air is all the, all the stuff that we breathe and how why Orlanth's so important as this cause of change and movement and growth. Um, I want to say I got the thing from uh, something that Montgomery did, but I think he was inspired by Stafford where he said, Orlanth is becoming and Yelm is being. Yes. Um, as a as a pseudo-Platonist, um, that very much appealed to me. Not just that. I mean, Orlanth is the ultimate hero card. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because um, uh, Son of Yumath is rather stretched for Orlanth, really. Yeah, yeah, because Or- uh, so uh, just... In my head canon, uh, Orlanth becomes the storm. He isn't born as it. Mm, okay. I I could see that. Like you could you, you could hypothetically rejigger the monomyth to be, hey, Stormbull became the storm because he was the one who survived. Someone was going to become king of the gods. It didn't have to be Orlanth. Yeah, well, uh, no, Orlanth is really the uh, teen, uh, the teenage boy who undergoes uh, through all, uh, the, all the god time uh, things and comes out as the king. Yeah, yeah. When I was in agreeing that it didn't have to be that way, it is that way, but it didn't have to. And I think um, I think that's yeah. like why he's the hero is that it actually sucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, well, uh, also the youngest son, uh, Dogma. It's always the youngest son who inherits it. Yeah. And so um, going back to the Orlanth and Entecost thing, I did this, a similar thing with each of the Lightbringers. Um, and uh, but the Orlanth Entecost thing is really big because the Lunars are pushing Entecost. Yeah. Um, the Entecost is their their replacement for Orlanth. It's the still calmer, the uh, not rebellious. Yeah. The, the only thing about that is um, they may do that in their own, own homeland. But they're really bad at exporting it. Oh, yeah. 
And so that was one of the things that because of the way sorcery does the negation, you got the the combos there. Um, I thought that trying to figure out how that embodiment relationship would work would provide me a way to play with these concepts, creating a new religion within the world, which would be really different and give another reason to kind of play with it. Be like, hey, this is like some it's something that fits in Glorantha. It uses the concepts. It uses the same type of relationships, but it uses them in a different way. Yeah. And I don't know if it's actually innovative or if I'm just kind of talking out my ass on it. It, it was some of the most fun I've had in a long time playing around <laughs> with Glorantha ideas, which means I'll probably go back to it eventually. I just it's it's one of those things where it's like I kind of I finished my, you know, deranged scribble outline. And I kind of looked at it and I think the outline's like 5,000 words. And um, I was like, this is going to be at least a 50,000 word book. I don't know when I'm going to have time to write that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tinkering with the Aeolians was how I started with Quran too. Oh, OK. Oh, my God. OK. Well, and the notion of, hey, I have rune magic and also the fun sorceries toys is also, you know. Uh, no, it's yeah, fun. well, I, I really uh, thought about the syncret- uh, syncretism of getting the Marchioni side, getting the Orlanthi side uh, to work together. And Aeolian is just another word for air, just like Stygian is, uh, is another word for dark, mm-hmm. or Thornic is a word for earth. Yeah. Mm. Because Stafford just stole a bunch of Greek words, yes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well. I, I have opinions about that, but we don't need to go into those. Um, <laughs> but cool. uh, um, yeah, and I was going to say that I think that's one of the plus spots where I do really differ from your approach, Jorg. And I don't think either one's a good or a bad one. No. But when I'm thinking about cults, the way I really do come at them is as a game tool rather than kind of a setting toy. Um, in just in the notion of like. What would be an inter- interesting mechanically to play around with? Yeah. Um, and, you know, if a, I'd say Angizi in the core rules is a good example of what I don't like. Um, <laughs> I, I have I have no idea why I would play an Angizi cultist and transitioning to full rune cults. A good counter example is uh, Brian. You guys know how to pronounce his last name. Do good. Do good. I remember that was a bit when you guys had your talk. Yeah, about children. Do good. I think. Do good. Okay, because I was, I I was like, I know, I remember that being a bit in your Children of Hikem episode. Yeah. But his cult of me, Varala, the, as a full rune cult, is awesome. I really like it. It's not crazy powerful, but it has enough toys and tools that as a player, I could see myself being like, hey, I'm going to play a troll mushroom farmer and we'll see how that plays out. You know, my relationships with the Black Elves giving me cool alchemical toys and weird spells that I can use in unexpected ways. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a really nice blend of inventive mythology and actual like, okay, I can play this, though. Well, um, well, I did do something about the setting when I worked on the Aeolians, but that was uh, mainly because uh, because I uh, tr- uh, did my first Lorenza campaign with an uh, Aeolian setting. Mm-hmm. I, I had been playing RuneQuest for years by that time, but never on Lorenza. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's a pretty hardcore way to start, though. Yes. Yes. Yeah, well, um, I mean, we ended up at like making up full rune cults, which I guess is the the last category, I suppose. 
I mean, I guess that's what you did with uh, the cult of uh, Rundra, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So every fun idea in my experience is not one idea. It tends to be several and they kind of blur into a melange. Um, I know uh, of the different ideas that went into Hrunda, one of them was that I I've always thought that an illusion rune focused knowledge god would be interesting Frunda turned out to not be that, but that's kind of one of the starting points. Because um, Frunda's monkey comes from Thoth, or Thoth, or however the fuck you pronounce it. The Egyptian god of knowledge, be- oh, yeah. because okay. yeah. the Egyptian god, he often was propitiated or emblemized with, you know, little baboon statues. Mm. And I think there, there's like a blue one that I found somewhere, and that's where I got the idea of a blue monkey. Okay. And then the actual imagery came from howler monkeys from South America. And this is this is a typical process of all of my creative stuff. I, I kind of I try not to take one thing. I try to take like 16 things from all over mm-hmm. and all of that kind of blended together with this notion of protector of the forest because I wanted this plot about killing a god because I thought that'd be fun and as this was part <laughs> of my monster of the month series I was like I want a big god monster thing I, for the last thing but I want like a real excuse to go fight one not like so I, I published one called Gatoron who's a giant elephant deity who's already dead but doesn't know it uh <laughs> But I wanted something that's like an excuse to use the big, cool, scary monster in the setting mm-hmm. as opposed to just here's a big, cool monster. Do whatever you want with it. But so what? what is then the reason to make it like a full blown god with its own cult as opposed to, I don't know, something like a gouger, which might be like, you know, an Arnaldan monster? which may or may not have its cult. I mean, I assume maybe some people would propitiate it or whatever, but like w- what would be the uh, either world building reason or gameplay reason to make it its own unique run- uh, rune cult that isn't a sub cult or a spirit cult or whatever. I've got the best reason in the world because I wanted to. <laughs> that, that works but, but genuinely because i said so or because i wanted to sometimes is the correct answer and and i really that's one of the things i think is cool about making up your own stuff and making up your own cults is if you want to do it that's that's right. part of the fun yeah um mm-hmm. once you decided that you want to do it what are pitfalls dangers things to look out for um, um things like that honestly the cult was fairly easy to write up like that that was the part that you know i i wrote the first half the initial publication of son of god in about a month um that was about a month of my writing time at the at the at that point um and i didn't have tons of trouble with it because i was following a lot of your standard uh structures of you know hero hero's journey um and uh type stuff uh i drew a bit from uh Eliade's shamanism that gets mentioned frequently as one of these slightly more obscure sources uh when people are talking about the Glorantha stuff and it really is taking that standard um, cults outline that you could. Uh, I actually found it on the Chaosium website. I uh, know it's originally started from Cults of Prax, which ironically yeah. enough, I've never read Cults of Prax. I've never actually oh read like the long form cults of the game, Ooh. which is maybe part of why I really enjoy <laughs> fucking around with this because I've not right. read what's expected. No, no, I've read Troll Pack. I've read the original yes. Troll Pack and that's about it. <laughs> Right, but yes, yeah, so yeah, cults of Prax or uh, like RuneQuest Two had this long form cult outline that that is very structured that you know defines the the uh, mythos and history and then the organization, the membership uh, thing. So, and I believe that's the 
the structure that yes. has been kept for the upcoming cults of RuneQuest uh, books. There's a few tweaks, I want to say. Um, yeah. yeah. I used basically just Chaosium's outline that was on the website, which is kind of the same thing. I, I want to say there was a couple, a couple like additions or changes. Um, the iconography section, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um, I got some of those also from a, a, a Rough Guide to Glamour. The Red Emperor and the Glamour cults in Rough Guide to Glamour both use that the same one that's online and has a little yeah bits of tweets. Even like the um, Six Season in Sartar and a bunch of other Johnston Companion also follow the same that same outline. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean that's the standard way yeah, to yeah, present uh, cults. Yeah, of course, uh, it makes sense a lot uh, to say the cult in the world and uh, uh, myths history. Uh, those simply makes sense uh, when you design a card. Yeah. And having an outline, and also I'm very much someone who writes from outlines. Um, and so writing it in that way, just kind of, it was a really good matchup for me. Just kind of be like, Hey, what am I thinking? What am I feeling out for yeah. how these different sections play out? And, you know, I, I pretty much, I just started from the top. I started from the myth and then was like, okay, so how does that really play out in what a worshipped experience looks like. I, I'm thinking all the time about, at that point, especially about the Azrolia campaign I was running and the Silthy elements um, and kind of what does this look like, not just in the forest, but outside of the forest in that Azrolia population? Like, why would I have Azrolian worshippers of the forest cults? Because um, I know in mm -hmm. my campaigns um, that... Temple of the Bones in the Old Woods is the only temple in the region for um, a lot of those more wild gods, including Yinkin. Yinkin yeah. receives associate worship and shrine worship in my in my Azrolia, but it doesn't have like a full temple except maybe in Natchit because Natchit's got temples to fucking everything. Yeah. So like, yeah. Eh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, well, um, I, no I noticed an another mythical uh, influence in, uh, in the Land of God, and that's Kipling, the Jungle Book. Ah, yes. <laughs> I was just like, Kipling? I don't remember Kipling. Oh, that wrong gear. <laughs> um, I don't think I've ever actually read Kipling's The Jungle Book. Obviously, I watched the Disney yeah. film as a kid. I don't know that I've ever actually... I've read a little Kipling, but I don't think I've read actually his original The Jungle Book. Well, I, I've read <laughs> yeah. parts of The Jungle Book, but weirdly enough, not uh, the one that Disney uh, made it a movie. <laughs> <laughs> when thinking about... Hrunda, you can see pretty clearly, I think, that my goal was cool, fun cults. Yeah. It absolutely has more power and toys and stuff than a cult of its size typically would if you were going from a setting focus perspective. And I just don't give a shit. Um, I want cool <laughs> toys. You are indeed a very cool toy-oriented yeah. writer well, and player. Yeah, absolutely, yes. At the same time, you give, you give it a very hard geographical limit. Yeah. Um, and trying to figure out ways to juggle these. Like, I want stuff to fit into the setting, but I am very comfortable if adding the cool toy things into the setting just makes the setting more gonzo. Mm -hmm. Like, like for me, there is a natural consequence of the setting becoming more high magic, more crazy, more over the top, more Bollywood, <laughs> if you're adding more of this stuff. And for me, that's awesome. Like, that's not a problem mm -hmm. for me. The 
vibe in, for example, the cover art of uh, the RuneQuest starter set box, I think, is a very particular vibe of, you know, hey, there's magic in this, but it's not, you know, wow, big splashy until mm-hmm. you hit the god time. It's more, hey, we are desperate and gritty and brutal. And I absolutely, Glorantha can be brutal. I mean, you, limbs go hacked mm-hmm. and flying, Brave Sir Robin. But at the same time, the magic of it being like really over the top all over the place is one of the things I think is fun. And I think that the religious structure of cults and theism throughout the world gives a really good excuse for that generic fantasy game of magics everywhere and part of society. Yeah. Because it actually gives it a way to be threaded through and thought about as opposed to, oh, magic's totally a part of society, guys, honest. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, yeah, there's a, there's definitely a, a certain scale in Glorentan fandom between those who think of Glorentha as a very sort of archaeological world with looms and uh, farming and stuff like that, all the way to those who think about it as more of a completely gonzo fantasy place like the Sandy Peterson uh, Glorenthan scenario ideas or the Nick Brook stuff. So it's there, there's definitely a scale there uh, in terms of the the fantasy element, I guess. And the, the irony is I, I, I love the on the ground stuff. I just like the on the ground stuff with also lots of magic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, same here, really. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm the guy who uh, writes uh, pages and pages about different uh, types of plow and looms. <laughs> uh, at, at the same time, uh, if you take a wrong turn, you're suddenly walking through the body of the do- uh, of the goddess. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like I remember uh, there was a essay in my book on the Sumerians that uh, I remember reading that was just super interesting because it's talking about how a change in plowing technology that they were able to tell from some tablets or some shit uh, led to seeds being planted deeper in the earth, which led to more crops being grown, which led to an entire period of warfare because they overpopulated themselves. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, those archaeological like realism details really can lead to lots of story conflict. Mm -hmm. And I think that blending the two approaches is what tends to work really well. Yeah, yeah. Um, Going back to your writing, sort of the background and myth of the cult cult of uh, Runda, you mentioned that, you know, sometimes you wanted just an excuse to give more toys to the players. Uh, sometimes you also just wanted to know, oh, what's, what's a, um, you know, illusion-based knowledge god like? If we look at the sort of runic association approach, where you think of two or three runes and you figure like, oh, you know, what, what does that look like? Did you, did you use, for example, like the Zabor sigil or whatever to figure out, like, okay, you know, it's, uh, uh, this, this sort of rune. So let's make a myth that has an antagonist that is associated with this other rune. Or like, did, did you use that basically as sort of a, a way to, give yourself writing prompts or did you use some other technique? Um, With Hrunda, I didn't. I don't 
tend to use Zabur's sigil that often. I use the power room relationships a bit more. Mm-hmm. I tend to very, very roughly think about the forms and the elements as nouns and the power rooms as verbs and adjectives mm-hmm. um, as kind of a way of processing what's going on. Um, I have a set of Q Workshop's uh, Glorantha dice that have little symbols on them. Those are absolutely fantastic for kind of writing prompt <laughs> weird story ideas. Yeah. Um, I use them all the time for that. Uh, so like you just roll them and go with whatever rune... When I'm top? writing, I'm usually more structured. I'll use that for the rough ideas. That's my deranged scribble level. <laughs> um, and then I'll kind of try to, you know, I'll read the runes basically to be like, okay, here's some kind of ballpark ideas. And then they shift and morph. Like I said, Frunda is not a knowledge god at all. That was like one of the kind of those starting point ideas of being like, you know, where we feel he's really closer to um, a trickster scapegoaty protectory thing yeah. um mm-hmm. and, and i like that he doesn't really fit neatly in a into one of those boxes if he fit too neatly he'd be too monomythy for me i think uh, one, one thing i would like to mention about runa is that it is a shamanic card too absolutely which makes it rather distinct from all the theist uh, only cards mm-hmm. yes yeah. and, and it's a it's a big like i said it's a big shaman cult um and in terms of, you know, if you're going strictly by the setting, it's a cult that wouldn't be around because there's not enough people and its main temples are pretty small. Um, that's one of the reasons I came up with the Temple of the Bones is because I wanted a spot that I could be like, here is where all the big deal worship happens yeah. for all of the little cults in the region. Because, you know, if this shaman's got 20 followers and this shaman's got 40 followers and this shaman's got uh, 20 followers and they all worship different major spirits like Hrunda or like Ginkin, they can all say, look, all of you guys come to the temple. Yes, I know we uh, you don't worship Yinkin. It's Yinkin's holy day. We're going to go party with them to get more magical energy going on. And in turn, they're going to party with us. Us on our day and it, it's um it's, it's basically a cult uh, um a spirit cult co-op yeah yeah i was like it's not a pyramid scheme a space and a what it was <laughs> um pyramid schemes with Malkiani. it might also be a the pyramid, are pyramid schemes the Malkiani do this chain of yes. reverence yeah, thing that yeah. i don't want but no there it's it's more like yeah it's more like a co-op i guess yeah and also you have all these animal worshippers which yep. are a very, very good way to sidestep these temple size uh, restrictions. <laughs> <laughs> also, yes. And I do think that there's blue paws that worship Hrunda throughout the whole Arsola. Um, probably, they're probably around in Israelia and Miniria also. I imagine the sentient ones are not super common in the cities themselves, but also, you know, like one of the images that was inspiring me is. Uh, swarms of monkeys attacking people on streets in very urban areas in India like <laughs> seagulls um, yeah. and that that was one of several of the images that uh, I showed up when I was kind of building that aspect of it yeah. was you know let's let's just throw you know a bunch of monkeys as urban pests into Israelia <laughs> and they're just a pain in the butt but some of them and some of them talk for those who haven't uh read to hunt a god like the when york talks about animal worshippers he's not talking about worshippers of animal god he's talking about actual animals yes. worshipping uh, uh runda yeah, and um, it's, it's a similar deal with the river gods really Oh, yeah. And all the talking fish in Zola fell. And that's where I that was one of the starting points for all of that. I was like, this right, only ha- right. like this happens with the Zola fell and not with anything else. Screw that. <laughs> more more talking animals. Let's go. Chop, chop. Yeah. Um, 
It's also very important to me that the bears do not worship whatever is going on in the Sunshine Rathori stuff. It's not the same culture at all. They're not bear people remnants. They're they are two different groups. These guys are Odalans and these guys are Rathori. Um, I don't know why that's a different I haven't discovered that yet but I for me in my head uh, I'm like it's very important that these are two distinct groups because that distinction that dissension makes it more interesting yeah yeah no I agree yeah well uh, that's the the other fun thing that um, most dire enemy is the one which is most similar yeah well I don't I don't I don't know if they're enemies they're just distant I think yeah Um, yeah, or rival or whatever but yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, um, Orlan's uh, main nemesis is his nephew, Wakbot. Oh, okay, yeah. I was thinking Yelm, and I'm like, what? Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, uncle. Uh, well, in that case, it's his uncle. Yes, I was thinking of Ragnar. No, Ragnar is his yeah. brother. That's his brother. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. Ragnar is fun. He's a good guy to have at parties. Distinctly not a man to party with. <laughs> Uh, my last question is, if you think about it more in terms of the cool toys you want to give to your players, um, do you think of a cool cult idea, like a cool god idea or whatever, and then you think about the cool toys to give? Or did you ever do it the other way? Like, for example, if you have a player that says, oh, I would like to have some cool turtle shell power, and now you have to come up with a cult out of the toy idea first right (laughs) did Um, did you ever do that there's a couple different ways to handle this um Shrunda was more I had the god and then I kind of muddled it together um from the way the different stories I resulted from uh most of his key magic is actually stuff I made up myself uh monkey's paw monkey's mind following the pattern of Yenkin um I absolutely think you can create a cult from shared spells um and I think that the article I initially wrote on the Red Book of Magic was kind of exploring that. When it first came, I actually considered writing a short cult creation guide when the Red Book first came out. Because I was like, again, trying to figure out how the hell do I use this thing? This is It's mm-hmm. pretty. It's got nice art. It's got fun toys. But how do you get the toys to be a thing? Yeah. And I ultimately decided not to just because I was like, yeah, I don't I don't know how appealing it would be. And I just don't know that I've got the time and energy to add another thing on my <laughs> list because I, I, I have this I'm still working on it. But I have this really bad habit of writing like 10,000 words on something and never finishing it. You can publish it as books from the uh, Conrad Library. God, we're, we're, uh, <laughs> we're, we're nearing that. I can show you guys my uh, my yeah. pile of notes if, after the recording. Well, if you, uh, you can you can publish a series of uh, Aculus manifests. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Volume um, two: The Great Reascent of Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fantastic title, and you cannot let me not use that. <laughs> um, uh, so. I absolutely think that if you take, you know, say a bunch of spells with shared runes, you can absolutely use that as a way to create a cult ambiently. Yeah. Um, because, so 
I think the example I used was fire and death and trying to put together a fun, but because the red book has a ton of cool fire sky spells. That's one of the things I liked is that it really kind of expands fire sky magic to be like, Oh wow, this is all very interesting. Um, as opposed to sorry, Yamalio, I feel like Yamalio is not a bad cult, but it is a little bland. Well, yeah, yeah Margaret's not a fire card. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. It's very easy to uh, cut off dis- uh, dissent and uh, disagreements with me. Yeah, whatever. But, you know, you, you take, you know, say, True Spear and Produce Light um, and Earthworm and maybe two or three others, and you get five or six spells. Generally, one that's a really cool one, uh, three that are kind of middling, and one that, you know, it's your cloud call. Um, it's not exciting, but it's it's probably relevant to the elements and the deity or whatever you're working with. And you kind of muddle all those together. And then the question is, what are the stories that led to those spells? So say you've got a fire God with true spear. Well, how did the God win his spear? Did he, was he born with the spear? Did he like, tear his own rib out to create the spear did he climb a tall mountain and the mountain turned into a spear tip um <laughs> did he chop a tree down and now he carries a spear but is cultivated by elves um mm-hmm. lots those are all just like random shit yeah. kind of riffing mm-hmm. on the same idea yeah um trying to think of the different elements of glorantha was he born as a spear and became a man that's another great one transformation's a lot of fun too um and so the rune spells a rune spell, what it is, in my mind, is usually that you're wielding a myth, basically. Yeah. Um, that's kind of why the god gets embodied in the world when you do it, is you're you're throwing a story at somebody and it blows up their face. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it's really kind of what's going on. You know, when you cast lightning, you're turning into Orland for a little bit. And so I absolutely think you can be like, if someone's like, hey, I want Proteus, and be like, well... What kind of spirit cult would have Proteus? Something that changes into people. Um, let's make it kind of malignant for a little bit of a fae feel and kind of fun. So you're going to have to appease it a lot. Maybe you have to, you know, acquire a new form like every season to keep appeasing it. And so you don't lose your magic. <laughs> um, and so and so then that's probably disorder. That's probably more than just change. So that's a disorder and change. Um, let's go ahead and. I don't know, maybe put Sanctify on, maybe add Sanctify as a requirement for when you're casting Meld Form so that it's a little trickier to use. Yeah, it's going to cost you a lot of room magic because this is a spirit cult and you want extra stuff in it because, you know, this is like your weird prestige thing. So, yeah, it's going to cost you a bunch of pow, but tough. Um, you wanted to have the cool toys. So here is a way to have the cool toys, a really cool toy. Proteus is awesome, but it's going <laughs> to cost you. And... So then you have your spirit cults taboo. You've got the cool toy and you've also got a thing that's going to drive adventure play and motivation. And the, I have to keep bringing new stuff to turn into and maybe once a season's too often, um, or maybe you just donate something to the cult once a season. Cause once a season would be one pow per season. And that's a lot. That is kind mm-hmm. of a lot. Yeah. There's a good chance you can't even get it back. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's kind of heavy. Uh, but you know, maybe you have to do that once a year and you have to bring something once a season, but that gives you reasons to adventure and reasons to go do stuff. With the Hrunicult, that was one of the things I was trying to bake in with, you know, here's the stories about stealing fruit. The initiates can't let each other starve because his whole thing is like hunger. And, you know, I think at, I want to say at shaman or rune lord level, uh, you're not even allowed to pay for food. You either have to grow it or steal it. <laughs> Again, just trying to think of ways that drive storytelling and drive decision making. Yeah, 
Cool. So uh, the more powerful you get, the more you have to beg for it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, does anybody have any last words on uh, RuneQuest cults, Glorantham cults, making up your own cults? Any last words of wisdom? Just do it. Just do really? it. <laughs> Gen- genuinely. I, I mean, it's like when I see people asking for advice on making stuff or, you know, how to run NPCs, how to design NPCs, because I do a lot of those with all the monster stuff. Um, really dive in. You're going to make mistakes. It's great. Mistakes are great. I've got lots of mistakes. I've got mistakes in every single thing I've ever made. And uh, one of the things that was so it's like with the hunt of God, one of the things that was so interesting about the process, there's lots of mistakes I can see in my work in it, but I've learned so much from doing that. I would say, you know, dive in with a spirit cult. And if you give a player, you know, lightning that does 2d6 points of damage instead of for one room point instead of 1d6 and you realize, oh my God, that's way too much to have a chat. Just be like, hey, I screwed up. Let's tweak that. And most player, most players are like, okay, yeah, you screwed up. Fair play. We'll, we'll, we'll tweak that and we'll keep playing around. Yeah. Maybe it just means you have to sacrifice a cow every sacred time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, yeah. that's quite an investment, uh, unless you're a noble. But just, just play with it. Yeah. Just be willing to mess around. I'll be honest, I'm almost considering not uh, picking up the upcoming mythology book because I just... I'm almost at a stage where I would rather just be screwing around than seeing someone else's screwing around. Um, and I would like really my, encourage the people, mythology book or the cults books. Uh, the mytho- the mythology book in particular with its overarching view. Oh right. Well, I'm I'm actually intrigued by the mythology book because it seems like there will be a chapter on like guidance for making up your own yeah. shit. Well, and that's so. one of the things. And obviously, you know, I would say don't. I'm not saying don't. People should not pick it up. I'm saying yeah, from a yeah. personal perspective, I've been doing enough of the playing around that I'm almost at the point where I'm like, you know, maybe I don't want to be maybe I don't want to be mucking it with my own head on that. And maybe I just want to keep playing with what I've got. And I'll probably yeah, pick sure, it up anyway, because, sense. you know, that's just where I'm at. But it, it's it's a thought. I, th- I think that it's a way overdue uh, necessity for playing <laughs> more so than the guide, really. I am very curious what is being claimed to be world changing for playing Glorantha that's in the book. Uh, yeah, uh, well, uh, so am I, but uh, there will be a lot of old uh, acquaintances uh, reappearing there. <laughs> and I think uh, the absences will be louder than the presences. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still jealous that you have the prosopatia. I'm definitely picking that up because uh, reference tools and grabs of names and things is always fun. Yeah. Or not always yeah. fun, but always useful for what I do. Uh, also, the presentations just uh, cool. Remind us where we can find all your good stuff, where people can and should buy your stuff. My stuff is on the Johnstown Compendium on Drive Through RPG. Uh, I have a website, Oculus.com. That's A K H E L A S, because weird ass fantasy words are hard to spell. Um, <laughs> that you and I'm sure that you guys will be linking all this in the notes anyway. Um, yeah. Yes. But uh, you can find uh, I put something up every week on Fridays. Uh, it's usually just like an article or a review. Um, if you just if you want more Glorantha stuff, there's Glorantha stuff just about 
50% of the time up there. I'd recommend checking that out. I and have, when it's not, it's Glorantha adjacent anyway? Yeah, yeah. Um, all my, my brain kind of does all similar stuff. Like, I've got stuff on the cosmology of that original world, Akalas, up there. There's Glorantha <laughs> fiction upcoming, and maybe... I don't know when you guys are going to get this out, but I've got a uh, play report on... Uh, Adventure 2 from Six Seasons and Sarder that it's going to be going up there. I've got a review of mm-hmm. Mythic Babylon that's going to be going up in a week, I think. Um, <laughs> I've got some other stuff. Oh, I've got something on the trying solo quest rules and solo gaming. Um, so it's all kind of in the same general boat, even if you uh, you aren't into, um, or even if you're focused on just the Glorantha stuff. Yeah. And as for your most recent releases, people should buy uh, To Hunt the God and The Queen's Star. Yes, I, I that The Queen's Star was my return to the Johnstown after about a year. Not off because I was working on To Hunt mm-hmm. a God for a good chunk of it, but away and kind yeah. of pretty quiet. Queen's Star is a uh, site based adventure where you go to part of the Cinder Pits in Dragon Pass. It's right next to the Colomar lands. And you go muck around with fallen uh, sky gods and uh, try to convince them to let someone go because a star has fallen out of the sky. Yeah, I like I like the premise. I like the premise yeah. of this one. It, it, it was a fun one to make. It was a fun one to write. That was uh, the first original thing I've actually like done. All the steps of you know outline, write, edit, produce, publish in a while, and that felt really good too. That was a lot of fun. Cool, yeah. So there's a fair chance you guys will be seeing more stuff like that because single adventures are something I can produce pretty easily. Mm, cool. I should actually get better at also promoting the stuff I've been involved in. So uh, <laughs> I should probably promote uh, Veins of Discord by Fern Mirage, for who I did the, um, most of the illustrations and the layout. I also have got a few drawings in uh, the book you also uh, already mentioned, which is uh, the Vorallans book by Brand Duguid. Also, you did the cover of To Hunt a God, and even if you don't believe it, it's gorgeous, it's great. <laughs> you keep it's saying it's not, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, people should get To Hunt a God because I did the cover and a couple of illustrations in there. Uh, I even did a one little bit in, one little illustration in uh, Queen Star. So yes that's one more reason for people to get it so <laughs> everybody uh buy those books uh this will make me happy if you want to see that weird aeolian thing ever buy books that's the yes. deal if you want to see more of ludo's <laughs> if you want to see more of ludo's art buy books yes i i don't know what they can buy from york to get york's writing well york still has uh, his uh wire taggy no uh, ludoc um stuff that has been long coming Ooh, that sounds fun yeah, um, I scaled down after doing all of Jordan once upon a time. I've now gone just uh, offshore and take an island group with uh, maybe two and a half thousand people in total. Oh, that'll be yeah. fun. First time he publishes on the JC uh, his Ludox stuff, we can say like uh, he got his feet wet finally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 that is horrible. Oh, and on that terribly disappointing note. Yeah, yeah. That's, yes. It's oh. uh, really a flipper. <laughs> <laughs> My God. Okay. Well, on that note, thank you, uh, Austin, for coming up and talking to us all about cults. So until next time, uh, I think last time we had you on the show was like two years ago. So we'll. <laughs> see you in two years excellent sounds like a plan <laughs> and if it's in if it's more soon that sounds great to me too it's a lot of fun yeah. Definitely. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of the god learners 
Our website is godlearners.com, where you can find episodes, newsletters, and articles about Glorantha. Reach us via email at collective at godlearners.com or via Twitter or Facebook at The God Learners for any questions or feedback. We are The God Learners. Question everything to the void and beyond. beyond.